I'm Lauren. Hello, I'm Sarah. And welcome to Montalino Mama. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Multilingual Mamas. We are here for our uh, finale of our second season. We made it two seasons. Um, And we're going to do a wrap up kind of similarly to how we wrapped up our first season. We just want to talk about what we took away from our interviews this season, where our personal journeys are at with our children. what we've noticed with their bilingualism and how we're we're feeling about our uh, multilingual motherhood at the moment. And then we'll uh, end the finale looking toward next season and what we hope to focus on in the future and our goals uh, for season three. So for uh, the first section here, we're going to talk about what we took away from the season, what we thought were the important themes or what we most enjoyed. And I thought of kind of three major themes that I noticed. The first one was that we got to talk to parents or researchers that looked into diverse populations of bilinguals that I wasn't as familiar with. So we talked to Francois Grosjean, who uh, has done some research with deaf uh, bilingualism, which was super interesting and completely different to my personal experiences. We also talked um, to Aaron Flynn about raising a, a bilingual child who is on the autism spectrum and had Down syndrome. And then we got to talk to the Collentines who have adopted uh, two girls from Guatemala and hear about that experience of uh, how you try to share the the culture with your adopted children um, and how that bilingualism might look a little bit different. So that was one thing I really enjoyed learning about. We also said that one of our goals for this season, and I I think we achieved it, was to talk to more individuals who had gone through bilingual acquisition firsthand, as opposed to just talking to parents. And we did get to do that. It was really fun to talk to um, Mavi and Gabriela and hear just how important those trips abroad were. Um, We also got to hear, again, how important bilingual school was to uh, Gabriela and just hearing them talk about the ups and downs. And also, you know, Alma talked a little bit about this as well, just the insecurities and loneliness you can feel, Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, the joy of knowing another culture, being open-minded, having new experiences. Um, I'm always gonna remember that moment that Gabriela described when they did the country parade and she got to dress up in her traditional Colombian clothing and that that was always viewed as something very positive for her. Yeah, for sure. 
And then because I, I was in Europe this year, we got the chance to, uh, to expand a little bit of uh, our understanding of bilingualism in Europe in general. We touched mm -hmm. on different bilingual families who spoke uh, uh, Swiss German or French in addition to English. Um, and I think those were the two languages mostly that we did in Europe, English and Spanish as well with uh, Natalia. Mm -hmm. And I think a fourth theme perhaps is that we haven't, we haven't really considered this uh, before, but sometimes this bilingual upbringing of this bilingual journey involves moving from one country to another. And we were lucky enough to talk to Alma, Alma Moser, to learn a little bit about the psychology behind this, how this change might affect the children and even the parents and how to best um, cope with this um, and inevitable moving that sometimes happens to this family. Yeah, it was nice we got to talk a little bit more about the multicultural side of things and the identity um, as opposed to just linguistics. And then we learned that our kids are third culture kids and what that means. Yeah, <laughs> which I was wrong about. So me too. Um, I didn't know. I am a better person now for that interview. Thanks. For sure. <laughs> and now down to the most interesting part of the episode. No, just kidding. Ourselves. <laughs> yes, let's talk about ourselves. Lauren, so, tell us about your journey this year. How has it been? Yeah, the personally this year this year has been very tough. My um second child was born a year ago. So um we spent all of this season with a toddler and a baby, a newborn. Mm -hmm. um, my husband and my daughter also got COVID at some point during oh, this year. There was a fear of an explosion near our house, so we were evacuated. So yeah, there was it was a turbulent year, but also just um, tons of development and as COVID is winding down and things are opening up more. Um, we're looking forward to leaving for Spain tomorrow again. Um, and so that'll be very exciting to see um, how that helps both of our kids. And I think it'll be more enjoyable or just a different experience than it was last year. So quickly, Victoria, my daughter, just turned three. Um, and Gonzalo, uh, our son, just is going to turn one this weekend. Jeez. <laughs> um, so Victoria, oh, no. First, I started talking about myself, how I'm feeling. Um, so Victoria can now say that she speaks two languages that they are called English and oh. Spanish and who speaks each language. Um, and the first time that she said, mama um, is Spanish, mama's language is Spanish. I felt very emotional. Oh. Um, I, I guess that I hadn't even realized it, but I had been insecure about her associating me with Spanish about that being a strong enough connection in the home, even though I only speak Spanish at home. My parents are English speaking and she hears me speak a lot of English. 
um, if she asks me to sing like Itsy Bitsy Spider in English, I will. So I had been a little bit insecure about that, but in her mind, she has the me goes with Spanish, which made me very happy. Um, oh, I did write, I don't know if she knows what a native speaker is yet or knows that I'm not a native speaker. Um, but I guess I'm curious to see what happens if she realizes that I'm not a native speaker, if she starts correcting my pronunciation or asking why I say things differently. Um, but we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, she did, she did correct um, Cesar's pronunciation in English for the first time the other day. She, he said, um, our babysitter's name is Liz. And he said, the vowel, he made it the E, like lease. And Victoria corrected him and was like, no, Liz. Um, so <clears throat> that was the, uh, that was a milestone for oh, her. Cute. Yeah. Tell um, Cesar to not feel bad about it. Uh, Lucas corrects Alex's French all the time. And he's also an A speaker, so. <laughs> Okay. Maybe maybe kids are just uh Yeah, it's it's just so interesting. Yeah. Um so also I wrote down a, a fond memory from the years uh singing the song No se habla de Bruno with Victoria. It's a song from the Encanto soundtrack in English. It's uh we don't talk about Bruno. Mm -hmm. And it was just something that I had been sad about. I we don't normally play music or media for Victoria in English so whenever we listen to the Disney songs we listen to the Spanish versions and it was really hard for me to hear like the intro to the Mulan song and not say like um let's get down to business like that is so ingrained in my bones that it was sad to me to not be able to do that but <laughs> now with new songs coming out that we can learn together. Uh, it's becoming just something we're building together and a new part of who I am. And I'm getting used to saying, instead of <laughs> let's get down to business. And so that, I don't know, it's just changing my own identity and it, it's feeling more and more authentic. Lauren, I have a question for you. When you guys yeah. play the Spanish version, is it like Latin American Spanish version or is there a Castilian one? We tried to find the um, the Peninsular version, if there uh -huh. is one, like with Libre Soy, which is uh, Let It Go. Uh -huh. uh, there are two different versions. And I, I see. But I, honestly, it's whatever is on Spotify because that's right. what we No, that makes sense. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. And like the Beauty and the Beast. Um, it's they only have like the versions from the new real people version right so uh, just whatever they have yeah uh it, it's really been hard still to find um children's books in spanish that have good translations so many of the translations are so i don't know wonky and weird and you can't I, well, I mean, I guess I buy a lot of books online, and so you don't really know until they get here that right. the translations are awful. So that continues to be a challenge. 
Um, oh, we did, I mentioned was, uh, we did find a babysitter who is bilingual. Um, and that's been really good for us to have some freedom, get back out a little bit. It's been nice to see how many people it will speak to me in Spanish in public after they hear me speaking to my kids in Spanish. Um, just again, I don't, if people don't hear me speaking Spanish, they very much do not assume that I do. Right. Um, so speaking to my kids in Spanish in public has kind of opened up these new doors for me to get to know people. People will now approach me and I'll make more Spanish language contacts than I had in the past when I'm just walking around silent with this face. So what you're saying is that raising your kids bilingual is opening more doors for you to, to use Spanish yourself. Yeah. That's interesting. Huh. Mm -hmm. And um, I, this semester, uh, one of my classes visited the bilingual school. We, we went to Spies for a visit and it was, I'm just really excited. It was really fun. The principal is amazing. I can't wait to do that. Um, Victoria is talking way more. I, last year, I remember I had a list of all the words that she could say, and now that seems insane. There's no way that I could keep track of it anymore. Um, she has pretty complex syntax. She can use uh, coordinating conjunctions, so like, and, um, but, she also uses like because a lot, part I K, uh, pretty long sentences. She has gender number agreements, surprisingly well for me. Um, she has the beginnings of tense, but it's very strongly tied to frequency. Um, it mostly seems to be like chunks, like I llovido, like I, it would be weird for her to use, say like, um, it's, it will rain or any other tense other than a llovido. She still just has some chunks. Um, yeah, I said earlier, oh no, she often, she mixes up pronoun case. Um, so she says con tu, para yo, uh, a lot. It's interesting to me. I've thought about whether this is influenced from English, but those that wouldn't be correct in English too. So I guess that's just a child error. And she code switches a lot. <clears throat> like her natural form of speech is full of code switching. So the example that I uh, often remember is, I wanna dar you un beso. So I wanna dar you un beso. Just like every other word is wow. code switched. Yeah. Uh, I also put a video on Instagram the other day of her telling Alo, her brother Gonzalo, not to do something. And she says, Alo, uh, don't hacer this, I think is what she said. <laughs> so cute. Yeah, that's just how she talks right now. Um, she understands that she is bilingual. Um, and can name her two languages. She can translate, you know, pretty well, assuming she knows the translation equivalent. She understands, like, if she says something and we say, 
¿Cómo se dice en español? She knows how to do that. She has tons of um, mispronunciations, especially three-syllable words still. So on Easter, she was saying quejonono a lot, which is conejo in real person talk. Um, chaqueteta instead of chaqueta. Ayiba instead of arriba. Najaja instead of naranja. Masasa instead of manzana. And we heard from her daycare teachers that she likes teaching them Spanish, teaching her teachers Spanish and her friends at daycare how to say things in Spanish. So that's so far seems like she's proud of it. Gonzalo is one year old. One year old. Uh, he only says two words, I think, uh, which are mama and mas. Um, so I guess he's Spanish dominant. <laughs> um, and he can understand his name, a few other names, no, agua, and maybe a few body parts. And I think that's it for us. We are uh, headed to Spain tomorrow, as I said, and um, glad to be able to travel more freely this year. Hey, looking forward to hearing about the, the trip to Spain next time. <laughs> yes, I will awesome. you know. So for me, um, as I probably mentioned last in the last finale of season one, so last time we did a finale, which is season one, yeah. Um, we have been living in Spain since August of last year. And we made the decision to come because partially because we thought this would be a great opportunity for our children. Um, and the idea of raising them bilingual, of course. Um, but it's also brought up a lot of feelings for me, which I never thought would happen. So um, if you don't know much about me, I was born in Spain. Uh, my parents are from Malaga, but then I moved to Albacete straight away as a baby. And I lived there for about 11 years. And then I moved south to Utrera, like a small town outside of Sevilla, maybe 20, 25 minutes away from Sevilla. And then when I was 23, I moved to the States. So in a way, I have lived 10 years in Castilla-La Mancha, 10 years in the south of Spain, and 10 years in the US. So this kind of became very apparent to me when I started living in Salamanca because people recognized that I was a Spanish native speaker, but I behaved a little bit weird and I did things a little bit weird because I've lived in the States for 10 years. So people will always ask me, okay, you're from Spain, but where are you from? And I, I wanted to give them a straight answer, like a simple one, but I never had one. And that's become a thing for me. I was like, well, I'm from Spain. My parents are from Malaga, but I grew up half in Albacete, half in the South. So that's created like a Spanish variety that doesn't belong anywhere. So it's really funny. Um, apparently I can adjust to a more neutral Spanish, but when I talk to someone from the South, I automatically go and change accents. And that's not very, um, I, I'm not aware of it, but I do it all the time. So that's been a little fun because one of the faculty, um, one of the staff members from Wake Forest here is from Extremadura, the South. 
of Extremadura, and we do have an accent. And when we talk to each other, we we use that. But it's definitely been really interesting for me. Um, I have felt a little bit as a heritage speaker being in Spain because part of my job here means that I have to talk to professors at the University of Salamanca via email or in person. And I hadn't used Spanish formally in a long time. Like I can speak Spanish, but I feel like uh, a lot of the time when I speak Spanish, I'm not doing anything extremely formal. And Spain is a very, the, the, the bureaucratic formal language that you would hear in Spain is not something I have used in the last 10 years. So I've had to use that here and I have felt very insecure. Like I've double checked my emails, triple checked my emails all the time. Um, I've also taught grammar here and I thought, was like, oh my God, my Spanish is so bad. How am I a Spanish professor? <laughs> and it's all influenced from English. So it's been really interesting to, to deal with that. Um, I've also realized that I've become very Americanized living in Spain after 10 years. Things that Spanish people care a lot about is saving um, the electricity, you know, like not turning the lights on. If you can avoid it, turn them off when you're done. Uh, not wasting water and things like that. And um, we tell the students to not do that here because they live with Spanish families. But I realized that at home, that's a very, that's, that's something I don't, I don't worry about because most of my adult life I've lived in the US. Um, mm -hmm. Also things like slippers, Spanish people love to wear slippers <laughs> and we don't. And it's very common that we don't. Actually Alex does, but I don't. So that's another little part of me that I'm like, oh, I'm really are a mix of both cultures. Um, the slipper thing is always so funny to me. It, it's a thing. I mean, I don't know why, but I've, I've really liked the idea of not using slippers. And according to a friend of mine who's a um, pre-K teacher, uh, she says that it's really good for children to not wear slippers when they're at home. Mm -hmm. It's really good for them to touch the, the different textures of the different floors and even outside in the grass and things like that. That's really good for them. They learn a lot through touch. So, so that's something very important. So that's my, that's what I tell people when they criticize me. I'm like, this is good for them. <laughs> um, there was a little um, adjustment period at the beginning. Um, my kids came, well, I mean, not knowing me, because knowing me was uh, two when we moved here. Well, actually one. And then Lucas was four on the verge of turning five. So um, Lucas could speak Spanish fairly well. The only thing that he had to adjust a little bit was to the culture. And there was a little bit of an adjustment period because um, they started complaining a lot, you know, trying to get my attention and stuff. And I got worried, uh, but it turned out it, that it was because um, my, my, my working schedule here is a split appointment. So I didn't spend as much time with them. And when I was able to to figure out that that was the issue, I make sure to spend more time with them. And other than that, they've really adjusted really well to, to living in Spain. So um, Lucas um, is going to Tercero de Infantil, which would be the first year before starting elementary school in the States, I think. Maybe it's equivalent to before pre K or kindergarten or. I think it's kindergarten. It, kids start school in Spain at age three. They have three years before they start their first year of elementary school. He's five, right? He's five, yeah. Yeah. He was born in 2016. Kindergarten. You start in kindergarten when you're five. Right. So thank you, Lauren, for that. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about I it. I hope that's right. <laughs> we'll see. We'll find out. But um, 
So that that was good. Um, I would say in Spain, there's a lot of emphasis on learning how to read and write from a very early age. Mm -hmm. So he was a bit behind on that, um, but he's adjusted really well. Apparently they call him Luki instead of Lucas in school. Uh, his teacher loves him. He thinks he's very creative. Everybody's telling me already that they're going to miss him because we're living in about a month uh, and a half or so. And he's already saying that he's going to have a fireball party, which I'm really excited about that. He's excited about saying goodbye because he understands what's coming and people are going to miss him. Um, but definitely formal education, it's been really good for him. He's learned a lot um, about letters and numbers. He can do some math, like basic math. Um, he can recognize letters, most of them. He's actually writing a bit. And now we are actually reading books with full sentences. And he's just reading with me as I pinpoint wow. um, where we are. Because it's really interesting. I never thought about this. Because we, we teach adults, right? So they already know what, how to read and write. But the thing that he's struggling with the most is syllable. Like if you have a word, he doesn't know what consonants and vowels go together. So I'd be like, no, that L goes with the O in the next syllable, not with the, you know, mm -hmm. N before. And he's like, I don't know what a syllable is. And I'm like, of course you don't know what a syllable is. <laughs> so it's been really, really interesting to do that. Um, he's uh, French is still his dominant language. They spend a lot of time with Alex uh, after school, the two of them. Um, and his Spanish is still highly influenced by French. He would say things like, vengo de hacer X. And um, there's a lot of degaismo. So he uses the preposition de all the time mm -hmm. because it's very common in French. And he'll definitely go for um, a verb or a noun that sounds more like the French one rather than the most commonly used. So that's still happening. Um, because of the job I'm doing right now in Salamanca, we have to travel a lot, which has not been easy whatsoever with the children. Yeah. But this has really helped me showcase how, how rich the Spanish culture in the country is in terms of landscapes, different people, different accents. So um, we have gone to different parts of Spain. He's seen different landscapes. We've gone to museums with him. He gets bored really fast, but... Uh, he, he still has some really good memories of certain things that we've seen. Like, um, for instance, he would just go to an um, academic trip because it's all academic and cultural. He'll like choose to go to the zoo with Alex so that he gets to do something that is important, but at the same time, something that is fun. So he's literally visited at least eight different zoos in Spain this year. But he now <laughs> knows, it's so funny, but he now knows uh, where some typical animals that you can only find in Spain, like a lynx and things like that. So that's kind of helped a little bit with um, the, the culture. Um, he, when people ask him where he's from, because he loves like Victoria, he started saying it when he was three that I can speak multiple languages. He actually mm -hmm. says he can speak four because my, my sister-in-law is Italian and he taught him four words. So he uh -huh. Italian as well. And then he asked, you know how to say um, car in Italian? He'll be like, macchina, you know, I'm fluent. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, when you ask him what he identifies as, he says American. He says, I'm from the United States and I live in Winston-Salem, which to me is really surprising because he hasn't lived in Winston-Salem that long compared to mm -hmm. other places in the States and, and Spain. But he loves that. And every time we tell him we got to move, 
to another country or we got to leave Salamanca. He's like, oh, we're going back to Winston-Salem. Like he wants to go back to Winston-Salem. And he doesn't, he's not exposed to English as much. We, Alex and I talk to each other in English and he gets secondhand English. But other than that, he doesn't get much. And Alex has been very uh, strict about watching only TV in French to maintain the French. And it's worked out really well for him. Sometimes he'll watch some stuff in English because we don't have um, the French or the Spanish version. Um, but um, he definitely can understand what's going on and speak some of it. We've actually, he's become good friends with a girl in his class and she comes from Iran. And her parents are, um, they can speak English. So we communicate in English with them. So he, he uses his English regularly. But um, other than that, he doesn't use English. In fact, he's getting English in school. It's so funny. He gets French and English one hour a week. And the teachers are always like, Lucas, stop talking because he takes over sometimes <laughs> in the class. But um, that's what he gets. Um Lucas is a little bit shy sometimes. Uh, like last year, he didn't want to initiate any interaction with French-speaking people. He didn't like that, even though French was his dominant language. But we've seen him come out of his shell a little bit more this year, and he'll initiate conversations with English-speaking kids and French-speaking kids in public without having to encourage him. So that's that's been really good for us and for him. And he really enjoys the trilingualism. Um, Noemi was two when we moved. Wait, no, she was one, sorry. Uh, she started daycare for the first time in Spain. And this has been the best thing we've ever done. She absolutely loved it from the beginning. First day, I'm bowling. I'm like, oh, goodbye, blah, 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 blah. Adios, Noemi, blah, blah. And she turned around and walked in. We came, picked her up. She was smiling. She's super happy. The stuff is wonderful. They do a lot of singing, which I think is normal at this age. And she's picked up so many songs that I learned as a kid. So this has been really good for me because she'll come home and sing songs that I only heard when I was a kid. And it'll make me smile. Like the other day, she woke up and she was singing the Macarena. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what's happening? If she can remember the words, she'll do the, the melody. Mm -hmm. And she sings all the time. Like people will stop us on the street and comment on how she sings so much mm -hmm. so this has been her I think her way of learning Spanish just repeating and she can memorize the whole song Victoria Victoria sings a lot also that's I that that was not the case with Lucas I was really really um surprised um she we bought her a lot of books because she's at that age and where she wants to do a lot of pop-ups and like mm -hmm. you know all those books that interactive like, yeah so she'll like um come to Alex sit on, on his lap and point at something and ask him ¿Qué es esto? So, and then he'll say it in French and he'll go through all of them. And then if you get it wrong, she'll get mad at you and be like, no, that's not right. And then she'll go to someone else and ask, yes, yes, so. and then when you get it right, she'll come back and correct whoever. So even, even though she doesn't have the word, she'll know what's right or not. She definitely mixes the two languages. Uh, Alex is worried about her French, but I think she speaks a lot of French. I think he's only hearing the Spanish and I'm only hearing the French, which is really interesting. Because she'll be talking to Alex, like he'll want something and she'll say, Papa, she'll sit, which is socks. And, and if he's not listening, she'll turn around and be like, Mama, uh, casetines. So like she knows exactly who to talk to in what language. She says full sentences since January. She's speaking uh, at a faster rate and sooner than Lucas did. Mm -hmm. um, 
I would say she's a simultaneous bilingual French Spanish speaker. What I'm concerned about is the fact that she's not getting English. She understands English because if Alex and I are talking about something like, can you pass me that pan over there? She'll understand and try to do it. So she's getting the listening that that. Um, but she never has to not, use it. She's not speaking it. She'll only repeat, I don't know, like some swear words that we say. Like if I say, oh, fuck, she'll be like, fuck, 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 fuck. And I'm like, come on. That's of course, the of course. But um, she's not. And we're starting to think that it might be a good idea to introduce some English while we're in France next year, later this year, because she'll be almost three when we move back. Like she'll be three months short of three. Yeah. And if she goes to daycare, which, which is the plan, I'm worried that she might have a rough time adjusting to, to a third language. Um, yeah. One thing that I remember with Noemi is that we kids get grades here and it's so funny. They're not grades grades, but they're like a, like a grade report. Mm -hmm. And it's too funny for Noemi. She's a, a two-year-old kid, but like they just kind of like put like she's in progress doing this or like mm -hmm. she accomplished it or she's, getting closer and there was one time uh where I can't remember what the skill was um but it was listed as she cannot do it and it was really interesting to me because she was able to do it and I knew straight away that she was able to do it but she only did it in French at that time so there was no way for them to test her in French and they missed the fact that she had that skill so it kind of made me think about testing the, the issues that we're having when you have multilingual children Mm -hmm. So I got to experience that firsthand and it kind of made me a little bit sad because you really, unless you have bilingual testing, you don't get the full picture for sure. So like if this has been some decisive test that might have put her, you know, like group A or group B, um, the fact is that she was able to do this, but not in Spanish. So that was interesting to see. And then to finish, Alex, my husband, um, it was a lot of fun because He's so chill. I was like, we're about to live in Spain. You don't speak Spanish very well. How are you feeling about this? And he's like, yeah, I don't care. And he's adjusted <laughs> wonderfully. He, he's the one who goes to, to do the shopping. He is the one who picks Naomi up at daycare and gets most of the messages. He's definitely the stay-at-home mom right now, and he's doing a wonderful job. Um, let me rephrase that. He's, the, he's a stay-at-home dad, and he's mm -hmm. doing a wonderful job doing that. I actually had to do like a little OPI practice interview with him the other day and he tested an intermediate mid. So I'm really proud of him because he's definitely learned the vocab and he can communicate effectively when need be. And That's good for him. That's good. Yeah. Good he example. A, yeah. And he has a truly special connection with our kids. Uh, I think it's because he's spending so much time with him. Um, yeah, they're definitely they adore his dad and they tell me all the time it's like if something were to happen we'll go with daddy and I'm like okay fine <laughs> I'm just gonna because yeah. sometimes sometimes I get mad and I'm just like I, I can't take this like I'm just gonna if I if I were to be gone you would have missed me and they were like oh, yeah we'll miss you but you know daddy's here so it's all good <laughs> and I'm yeah. like okay whatever and the last thing I wanted to touch on is the fact that Alex um spends a lot of time trying to find cartoons in French. He's figure out a way where you can change the VPN in a computer so that you can pretend to be in a French speaking country mm -hmm. and then you get access to TV in that country. 
So he'll spend hours um, finding new shows, TV shows for, for them. And Lucas is really curious right now. He has a lot of questions about dinosaurs and things, and he's being able to find documentaries about dinosaurs and stuff like that. So definitely that speaks to the fact that they're more fluent and more dominant in French is because he's invested in, in that because he can, he doesn't have to work. So he has some time and he definitely um, does that. But um, we have discovered Bluey. I don't know if it's a thing in the, in the States. Yeah, Bluey is very popular. Blue is very popular. And we've learned recently that the Amer American, so the US version of Bluey has gone through some editing to cut out some things or some episodes are completely out uh, because it's Australian originally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. So the kids noticed that. That was like, oh, that wasn't, because Alex always makes them watch things in French and if they want to watch it again, he'll play it in Spanish. And then if you want to if you want to watch it a third time, they'll watch it in English. So they were the ones who noticed, oh, in this version, he doesn't say that or that thing isn't there. So it's been really cool to, to see that through them. Wow, they're really dedicated to Bluey. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> no, it's really, it's a really cute show. And I think it has great values, but there's a few controversial episodes that the U.S. has decided not to air, which I thought were really interesting to me personally, or to my family, to my family values. We could talk about a dad being pregnant or having a kid and it was funny, but maybe something wasn't politically acceptable or correct in the States and they chose not to air that. But uh, I'm glad that my kids noticed. It's like, oh, this isn't here, but it was here or like things like that. Yeah, the US definitely can be conservative in that way. So it was interesting. And yeah, a wonderful year. We are gonna be in France for the next, uh, after, July 21st and my kids are super excited about it. I'm a bit nervous, but I'm all open about multilingualism and I should immerse myself in the culture and practice my French and we shall see if I improve. <laughs> you will. Yeah, and that's, um, that's all I have to share. Well, we will of course be back uh, in the fall for season three. Um, and we're hoping to get back a little bit to linguistics, some more detail about uh, bilingual language acquisition, um, but maybe a little with a little bit older kids, now that our kids are getting older, um, we're kind of interested in those first years of elementary school, um, how uh, acquiring literacy um, works for bilingual children, looking at uh, as well at how language attrition happens if children start to forget one of their languages, what that process looks like in detail, um, getting some expert interviews on that. Um, we're also interested in doing some interviews with families who speak um, minority languages at home, but minority languages that are not immigrant languages. So for example, uh, French speakers in Canada or uh, Catalan speakers in Spain uh, or speakers of indigenous languages as well that um, the biculturalism there can be different than it would be for, for immigrants. And that's something that I think we're also looking forward to diving into a little bit more in season three.
Stay tuned for another season of Multilingual Mama. Yay! questions for us or questions about the podcast go to home and our website at www.multilingualmamaspodcast.com and click on the link for questions make sure to follow us on facebook and instagram and stay tuned for another episode of multilingual mamas <laughs>